A lot of good things happening today and a lot of things to remember. And we're going to talk about prophecy in the news tonight. How about that? We're going to see, see what's happening around the world and how it's affecting us and take a look at it. But just to kind of add on to what Charlie was saying, they've already got started setting their stuff up in the auditorium. So I think it's going to be about a three-week process or whatever as they get through there and then the hallways, foyers, and all the way around. So um, we'll be glad for that to take place. And we're, I guess then Easter is probably going to be when we kind of inaugurate our move-in, won't it? It'll be just about that time. So that'll be good. Praise God for a late Easter this year. <laughs> you know, I... Just get your Bibles ready tonight. How about that? That, that Does that scare you when a pre- preacher says that? Just get your Bibles ready or your smartphones ready or something. Um, we might look at a, some particular <laughs> scriptures uh, specifically, but we're going to talk about how some things are affecting us um, in our world today. What happened this week that uh, in prophecy? Anybody, anybody know anything that might have stood out? Netanyahu. How many know who uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is? He's the prime minister of Israel. He's basically the leader of the nation of Israel. The Bible says that um, Israel is the apple of his eye. He said, whoever blesses Israel, God will bless. This nation has been blessed when we've stood with Israel. Sad thing is, is the last few years we've been taking a step away from Israel and I think we've been seeing the consequences of that. Great Britain suffered the consequences of stepping away from of Israel back in the uh, you know, 1917 early early uh, years of the turn of the century as they begin to kind of push them away and it used to be said about the Great Britain that the sun never set on Great Britain but that all changed after World War II and Israel became a nation in 1948, and the reason for that was because of our, the American president, Harry Truman, was the one that really initiated the bill that helped to bring about the uh, recognition of, of Israel as a, as a nation. A lot of the Palestinian states around were becoming, uh, being recognized again. Great Britain had taken a big, big fall through the uh, World War II, and so these, these countries were asking for their independence, and they were getting it. But Israel was kind of left out, pushed aside until America stepped up, stood along beside her and helped her become a nation. And we stayed by by Israel. And if you just know, if you look in the history of America, some of our finest years were the 50s and the 60s as as we began to grow and our economy was prospered and and we became such a a world leader throughout those times after we came out of World War II as as the world leader. About um, 2,600 years ago, the Hebrew prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they issued some parallel end-time prophecies concerning modern-day Iran. And so we wanna, I want you to think about these things tonight. We'll just throw some things out there and see what's happening. Um, Ezekiel prophesied about Persia, specifically, and Jeremiah predicted the fate of Elam. Now, Elam is part of modern-day Iran today, a little geographical geography lesson. Uh, Persia, ancient Persia, is Iran today. Iran uh, comes on down to the Persian Gulf, which encompasses ancient Elam. And the Bashir nuclear plant 
sets right on the, the Persian Gulf in Iran or ancient Elam. You know, we talked at the beginning of this year, we talked about some things that we were looking at uh, the Bible and prophecy and various things. And, and I mentioned to you about a nuclear showdown in Iran. How many of you remember that? We talked about Jeremiah chapter 49 and the prophecy there from verses 34 through 39. I'll see if I can talk over the kids. <laughs> that's, uh, hey, listen, that's great noise. I love to hear that. Those kids are having, having fun in church, you know. Um, most of the time, kids, you know, when I was growing up, I was pinched or, or squeezed or something and looked at uh, to be quiet in church, right? So I'm glad they can come and yell and shout in church. So Because then when the, you get to be an adult, it's like, y'all, then you never say nothing because you've been taught all your life to, to be quiet. And then when you're supposed to speak up, you don't speak up. But, but uh, Ezekiel prophesied about uh, Persia and uh, ancient Persia. What was in, what's interesting, that, something for you to think about. I'm going to throw some little nuggets out here. Maybe at the end we can kind of tie them all together and make, make some sense out of this, I hope. Ezekiel 37 and 38 talk about uh, the battle of Gog and Magog. It's in prophecy. That's thrown out there a lot. It's a popular thing, topic to talk about. It talks about an end-time battle that will happen. I actually believe that it will be uh, sometime maybe either right prior to the, the uh, last seven years, the seven-year tribulation, or during the seven-year tribulation. I believe that there's going to be another battle before that. Psalm 83 talks about that, and we've shared along that line. But in this battle of Gog and Magog, the, the nation, or the country of Persia is mentioned, but Elam is not. So that's just something to hang on to that for a second. Um, in Jeremiah 49, 34 through 39, there's a prophecy. In fact, if you want to turn there, let's just let's read that to get that kind of in our, in our minds of what God says against Elam, which is a portion of, of Iran today. In, in Jeremiah 49, verse 34, it says, this is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning Elam uh, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. See, I will break the bow of Elam, the mainstay of their might. So he's saying your main power, source of strength and power, I'm going to break that. He says, I will bring against Elam the four winds from the four quarters of the heavens. I will scatter them to the four winds and there will not be a nation where Elam's exiles do not go. I will scatter Elam before their foes, before those who seek their lives. I will bring disaster upon them, even my fierce anger, declares the Lord. I will pursue them with the sword until I have made an end of them. I will set my throne in Elam. Now, this is pretty interesting. After God chases them down, and you don't want to have this kind of attitude of God towards you. I can tell you that. You don't want God chasing you down with a sword, okay? Um, he, when he's, right after he says, I will pursue them with the sword until I have made an end of them. Verse 38 says, I will set my throne in Elam and destroy her king and officials, declares the Lord. Verse 39, yet I will restore the fortunes of Elam in the days to come, declares the Lord. There's going to be a good time that comes to Elam or to that particular area. There's a blessing of God that God had blessed Elam previously and he's going to bring that about god will always keep his covenant but he's got to clean it out before he can bless it now what this basically is saying is that god is going to destroy the mainstay of 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 elam if you look back in bible history you'll find out that the uh 
the Edomites, the ones that lived in that particular area, they were archers. They were very proficient archers. And um, that was some of their mainstay in their army. But I believe what this is referring to in our day and age is the Bashir nuclear plant that's located in ancient Elam, which is there in Iran, uh, on the Persian Gulf. And so I believe that there's going to be a destruction of that to destroy the mainstay of Iran, that their, their main strength. Iran wants nuclear power because they want to flaunt it and, first of all, and say and to be a threat to other nations that we have nuclear weapons, don't mess with us, as well as they want to you know, gain the benefit of the energy and different things from the, the nuclear power. So they want that. And... Um, uh, so we want to get into that just a little bit. Ben, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, when he, he he made the global headlines this this week when he spoke uh, to the session of Congress, and um, he really posed a threat to the nuclear weapons. And you know, I don't know how many of you heard the speech. Okay, just just a few or part of just where it was highlighted just a little bit. It wasn't a main thing. And our president, and there was about 30 Democrats that, that boycotted it. Um, you know, we need to see, well, how, is this relevant to us today? And if so, what does it mean? And, and most people don't know anything about it. Um, some compared the Israeli prime minister, again, who is the leader of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, if you just to kind of get that in your mind. Uh, they compared him to Winston Churchill uh, saying, quote, courageously warning against the appeasing of dangerous enemy. And that's what he was doing. He was warning that if we bolster, if we uphold Iran and support them and allow them to have nuclear power, that we are creating a, a world enemy. Uh, you know, others argued that Netanyahu's speech really didn't tell us anything that we didn't already know and that he was basically just um, trying to get a little bit of politics because are gaining some popularity during this time of the elections in, in Israel. So they kind of wiped it off as that. But uh, George Friedman's book, titled The Next 100 Years, made popular this uh, geopolitical concept of what's called a, a, a meta-narrative, a meta-narrative. When I had to study a lot of humanities and sociology in college, they talked about meta-narratives, which basically... Uh, sets out the ideology of a society, of a, of a country, uh, you know, what is their basic purpose or their, their motivation, what's their ideology, what's, what's their plan, what's their worldwide plan. And um, basically, the, kind of the breakdown of Netanyahu's speech can be broken down into to, uh, comparisons of three meta-narratives. How many of you ever heard that word before? Meta-narrative. I'll give it some of that money I spent at ORU back. And it's the first time I had to use that since I was in college. But um, basically, um, it's, it just means the big story, or again, what the ideology. It's the, the, um, the goal, the ambition, the motivation behind uh, a, a particular society or nation. Uh, it's their agenda, what drives them. What would you say America's agenda would be? What drives us? <laughs> Greed? <laughs> Stuff? Okay. Well, um, in uh, Jim Dennison, I read his, his report. He has a, 
a report that he puts out called the Denison Forum, and he applied basically the speech to three of these meta narratives. And I hadn't really heard anybody throwing that word around, like I said, since I was studying humanities and sociology. So I thought that caught my attention. I looked it over, and so I want to share with you the points that he brought out. These aren't original; uh, they're his points. He says, first of all, that uh, we can see the Israeli meta narrative was, uh, and and their meta narrative. Whew, Feel like I'm almost ready to speak in tongues with that word. Meta narrative is basically uh, the old John Travolta song. You know, staying alive. You know, that's what they want to do. Is uh, they just want to survive. Basically, they want to survive as a Jewish state. They really just want to come back to their homeland, as uh, God has called them back to their homeland, and to live in peace and, and prosper and, and enjoy the blessings of God upon them. But what they've done, they found themselves surrounded by. Iranian um, proxies, if you will, which is the Hezbollah to the north and the uh, Hamas to the west. And then we got this, uh, the Shiite militants and uh, this group called ISIS in Syria and, and also in the northeastern range that's all around Israel. And, you know, what are they saying about Israel? What is their ambition for Israel in that area? There you go, Les, you're exactly right. That's exactly what he said. They want to annihilate them completely. They want to destroy them as a nation, as a race of people. That's their ambition. You know, can you imagine thriving on such hatred and, and stuff? But that's their ambition. Um, yeah. In fact, the, the supreme leader, the, the uh, Ali... Khomeini, and he's uh, he continually calling for is the Israeli annihilation. And um, you know, many people have said that Israel is right for uh, fearing the results of Iran and uh, having nuclear power. You know, even the Iranian uh, regime, if they never really use the nuclear weapons, uh, just the existence of nuclear weapons in that particular region would encourage all these ra the radical Muslims and uh, again the group like we're seeing ISIS rise up now um, and really bolster them and, and encourage them uh, towards uh, their anger against the Jewish state and annihilation and would escalate, I think, in that particular region um, war uh, rapidly. Uh, so it's really no surprise that, that Israel is calling for no nuclear uh, capacity or capabilities of Iran, and they also, they don't want them to have, they don't want them to have any nuclear ability, they don't want them to have the ability to produce nuclear weapons rapidly or quickly, because you know, Iran keeps saying it's just about power, they just want it for the, the energy basis, but uh, it's, they've had reports to show that they could produce the weapons very quickly. And so basically the uh, meta-narrative for, is, for Israel is we just want to survive, we want to stay alive, we want God's, we want to enjoy God's blessings and God's peace. They just, you know, want to get along. Um, the Iranian merit, uh, meta narrative is basically they want to go back to the Persian Empire. They want to go back to become who they were. You know, there was the Babylonian Empire, then the Medo-Persians, and the Persians really dominated before Greek and, and Rome. And uh, they were scholars. It was from Persia that the wise men came that followed the star to Bethlehem. And, uh, you know, the Israelites were exiled to uh, ancient Babylon, to Persia, in that particular region. And so 
they were a tremendous world power, and that's what they want to become again, you know, five, five, even five centuries before Christ was born. This was when they were ruling and, and exercising their authority. And um, so they, that's what their desire is, is they want to become a world power again. And so, um, you know, and they, their, their hatred for Israel in that particular realm just drives them even more. And you would think that it would be, Greece or Rome or you know some something like that that uh, that came and and conquered them at that particular time. But today, Iran is essentially the Persia of history. And so when we read in the Bible, we read about Persia or Elam, as we were reading a while ago and pointing out. Then what this, the Bible's talking about is Iran for today, and um, they really they see nuclear weapons uh, as a uh, significant means to expanding their influence and their power. And so they want nuclear technology for the energy process and, uh, and purposes in their country. And also um, the threat that the, uh, you know, that they would always have this power of nuclear weapons that, you know, nobody's going to mess with us, you know, kind of rising up is that. You know, even if they're not able to make a nuclear bomb, if they can't get that technology or figure it out, Right, and they, but they've got the they they've got the technology to produce the the bombs already. They have that technology there. It's it's resident there, and uh, you know they're real good friends with Russia. In fact, in Ezekiel thirty seven thirty eight thirty nine, we see that uh, they align with Russia to bring Russia down into the war against Israel at that particular time in that the Battle of Gog and Magog that's mentioned through there. So, um, so that's the Iranian uh, meta narrative is they want to become a world power again and wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Uh, but what about the American meta-narrative? Uh, I think I heard it a while ago. It's, basically, it's driven by um, something that's good, capitalism. You know, everybody getting an equal chance to produce. But what it's called now is globalization. And we see it prevalent in Walmart is a good good example of uh, globalization that uh, have world markets. It's not enough to have just, you know, mom and pop businesses and neighborhoods or this country, but now the world has gotten smaller because technology has gotten larger. And it's just one of the things that's going to happen, which will usher in a one world government system uh, that will rise up. A world, one world leader would just look at nations, other nations as a President looks at governors over particular states, and they would give you know give different uh, countries their independence in a sense, just like states have supposedly have independent in, in, in their own right and, and have governors. But that would be the thought, and uh, you know it's kicked around by some, a few, but it's also opposed. But we know that prophecy tells us that that's where that we will end up in a one-world government system and a one-world religious system as well. So the American, the American uh, meta narrative is basically globalization. Uh, we just want to preserve the economic and the security aims of the USA around the world. We just want good markets. We want to make a lot of money. Let everybody else make a lot of money. That's not a bad thing. So everybody can prosper. But as Danny said, you know, you can't have that attitude without some greed on one side. It's always going to be there, and somebody's always going to make a dollar, make a buck. It's made this country strong, but it's also been something that where the Bible says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And so that comes along with it. And um, here's the thing, though. What's America's policy for Iran? What's our stand on Iran? 
I'm glad you asked the question. Basically, we want Iran to help, I'm quoting here, we want Iranian help in combating the global threat of radical Islam. We have some partnership with Iran, we think. Now, here's the thing about Islam is you're their best buddy, they can, and they can tell you and lie to your face yeah. as long as it accomplishes the, the purpose of Allah and advancing Islam. And as soon as you turn your back and they're done with you, they cut your head off because you're an infidel. That's the basic theory of, of Islam. That's, that's basically it. You come under Sharia law, and if you do not submit to Sharia law, then the, the alternative is to be beheaded. We've seen some of that already taking place. Um, in fact, in the book of Revelation, when it talks about the seven years of tribulation throughout the middle of the, that, the week or the seven years there, it talks about those that are beheaded for the name of Christ. Um, you know, here's the thing. We want, we want Iranian uh, economic uh, and energy resources to provide the um, counterbalance to Russia and China. We're threatened by China, of course, coming up. I think Charlie's mentioned that China's the, the, the largest producer and consumer of gold right now. And, uh, of course, both of these countries have nuclear weapons, and they are a, a nuclear power. China will rise to be a world power, dominant world power. In fact, uh, it's seen that in this battle of Gog and Magog that over 200 million soldiers come down and uh, we think, well, where could you get that many? I think it was in the late 60s or early 70s that China, 1969, that China already could number their, their army of 200 million men that they could advance. So it's, it's been there for a while. Um, so the thing with America, we, we want Iran to be a power in that particular region, looking at it as stabilization and keeping radical Islam under control. And so, you know, where foreign policy has failed, in case you haven't noticed over the past 20 years or so, is we go in and we empower people like Saddam Hussein and, you know, and get him to be a good friend to help us with this particular radical Islam group over here, Iran at the particular time. And then when that flips, then that, that world leader that of Islam changes and, and comes back. They get in their head that they are going to rule and... Um, of course, Saddam Hussein wanted to reestablish the Babylonian kingdom. And, of course, Babylon will be reestablished in a world power politically and uh, a religious Babylon. So, you know, we want the uh, Iranian uh, economic and energy resources, and we want them to provide this counterbalance to Russia and China. Uh, we want them to help counterbalance uh, and combat against radical Islam. And so, as a result... A lot of our leaders in Congress, they want to prevent uh, Iran from nuclear weapons, but uh, not from necessarily from nuclear technology. And so that's causing a problem. And, you know, when a, a religion, when, a, when a, a person can tell you that their core beliefs are that they, know, they believe they can lie to you if it serves their purpose, how are you going to believe them when they say all we want is nuclear technology? We don't want nuclear weapons. Right. Yeah. Anytime that there's a, anybody other than a, Sharia law is the the law of Islam that governs. It's the the law that tells you know. 
it's that, it's that radical part of it, you know. Uh, the ones that have compromised, would say they're laid back, uh, Muslims maybe in America, they're not under Sharia law other than in Michigan. They've already, there's a, a city there that they've already, Dearborn, Michigan, uh, now they've taken over the city council and they are enacting Sharia law right alongside. So they can, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's coming, it's, 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 it's going to, it's going to happen. Uh, there will be battles against it, but uh, that's, that's where we are, folks. That, that's what's happening. So the question is, is, you know, these three meta-narratives that we've looked at, how they get along, how they balance out, and how they um, align or conflict together really uh, is going to determine the outcome of this problem in Iran. Uh, and it's, I think it's coming very soon. The um, way I looked at the speech, now that was, uh, that was one person's view on those three meta-narratives. I had another little take on it. I think it was more than just a political speech because I th- it took place on, on the, the Jewish calendar. It was on Adar the 12th, which was the beginning of, of Purim, which is a celebration holiday. And how many of you know what happened, why they celebrate Purim? We know what they do is they, yeah, that's where they drink. It's when Esther, exactly right. It's when Esther, uh, she prayed and asked them to, to pray and fast, to begin the fast, as she was going to come before the world leader at that particular time to ask keep the Jews from being annihilated and, and their, the genocide to take place upon the Jewish race at that particular time. So I think that this, this speech was a wake-up call. I think it was a warning. And um, it was more than just a political speech. And I don't think that Netanyahu was trying to gain any brownie points, as we used to say, with uh, politicking by coming over here to America to do this. Uh, I think he took a bold stance and, a, and he, a, a brave stance, but I think it was a godly stance because of the timing. It's no accident that it happened on the day that it happened. And uh, it's just very similar to uh, 2,500 years ago when the Jewish people, as we said, they found themselves in the same exact place where there was uh, this nation was going to rise up and annihilate them completely. And so with the, the Feast of Purim... Well, I think that. That's a very good question. My honest opinion is, I think God gave America a chance to be warned, and gives you an opportunity to align. You either going to be, you know, it's like Moses stood that day and said, "Choose you this day whom you'll serve, God, or not." And so it had to be presented because today I really believe that America is the world power of today. So. Um, here's the way I break this thing down. Who was it that war- that came to do the warning to Esther? Mordecai. Remember, he came up and he and he warned her. He says, "You know, who knows if it's for such a time as this that you've come to the kingdom, that you've come to this power, that you've been you've been brought here for such a time as this that you might save your people." Mordecai was the one, the the, the Jewish person that that uh, came and did the warning. I believe that Netanyahu filled that place of Mordecai uh, today. On the same day, that happened 2,500 years ago. Yes, sir. One interesting note about Netanyahu, since you say that, he is as close to an American as you could ever get. 
guy was educated at MIT and Harvard. He spent lots of time in the United States. He understands exactly how things operate here. He understands all the political innuendo, the nuances. And so I think it, it, it's no uh, coincidence that God sent him to the Absolutely. United and you, you don't get through MIT and Harvard by just being the run-of-the-mill uh, person whether you're American or Jew or whatever. And so he's a very smart man, and he's, uh, you know, he's a Jewish man, but I believe that God is using him as a modern-day Mordecai to come, which would put our, interestingly enough, our American Congress, I know this is hard to envision, as Esther, because the Congress is the closest thing to the American people because it's representatives from the American people that go to be close to the world leader who is the president of this nation, the president of the United States. And so the Congress is the closest uh, position to that, just as Esther was going to be called to be the closest position to the the world leader at that particular time. I know it's hard to envision that the American Congress, uh, Senate, and the House of Representatives would be uh, representative of Esther, but yet this is the close place. And for to warn, you know, to say... Who knows, but for such a time as this, you just got elected to come here to be a world leader, to be a part of this world, this world-dominant country. Now then, it's your responsibility to act on this. If you, if you don't act, God will raise up someone to act. Remember that? But, but he gave Esther the opportunity to act as well. Uh, remember that, that, that if she didn't, God would raise up someone that would save the. And so I think it was a wake-up call, and, um, you know, again, it happened on the the day that Esther called for the fast that she was going to, to for people to fast and pray, that she was going to uh, go before that the, at that time, world leader. And uh, she had uh, a brave intervention. I hope we have some brave souls in the Congress today that will take a step and, and take a stand and um, to influence. The, the concern is the world leader there. I, I don't think our American Congress is quite as pretty as Esther. <laughs> I don't know how much of her, of her beauty had to do with her influence on the king at that particular time. I think it was her bravery uh, and uh, her stance and on God's favor upon her. But um, Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Actually, we the people is not just a slogan. It's a statement of authority. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, So I think that this story of Esther is replaying itself some 2,500 years later. It's no accident that we're seeing in prophecy the the blood moons occurring and that we're going to see this one that's going to come about that will show right over in Jerusalem uh, during the time of Passover. So, you know, according to biblical scholars and and, scholars, they call them Christian friends of, of Israel. The threat that Israel faces today includes the same people, the same uh, national players that affected uh, Esther in her day. The same dates are involved. The same stakes are at risk, annihilation. And Netanyahu's speech uh, occurred, right at, as I said, right at that time, that biblical fast of Esther. And um, so, again, we've, <clears throat> we've got... God's players that are involved here. We have the Mordecai of today coming to warn. We have the Esther that should heed the warning and go before the, the world leader to, to take that stand. Um, 
Cordoza Moore, he, he's a writer and he's written a couple of, he's an author, and he made this statement. He said, it, it is a tragic day in the history of this once great nation that a sitting president and members of Congress would join the anti-Semitic, anti-Israel global boycott movement and refuse to attend an address by America's ally and steadfast friend Israel. God, God warned the prophet Obadiah that in the latter days he would wipe out the descendants of Edom because they stood by while their brother Jacob was held in captivity and did nothing. And that will uh, come into play again as well. So, you know, what's going to happen here? The, the difference today uh, and 2,500 years ago is, is that today Israel is strong enough that if America doesn't act, that Israel can act themselves. And so I really believe, yes, sir. They already took out one uh, potential nuclear facility a few years back. Yeah. Back. Yeah, back in the 70s, I believe, you know, that's when they showed, they showed off some technology that they got from the United States. Then when they came over and they had the, the yeah, the smart, this was back in the, early, what, 78, something like that, when they punched a hole in that nuclear reactor with one bomb, and then they, the next plane came through, and just in, you know, yeah, it was, uh, through a hole, put another bomb right in it. I mean, that's better than basketball, you know. Uh, I mean, Michael Jordan couldn't do that. But, uh, so that was, that was the technology of that particular day. We've got, they've got technology to do it. They're a strong army, but I believe the reason why that, that, that Netanyahu it was, re- was responsible to come before the American Congress was to give America a chance because... God will not judge someone that he hasn't given a warning to. He put him on yes, he put him on notice for sure. He did. He did. Um, and we've talked about Psalm 83. And if you came to some of our Sunday night uh, little teachings when we did Understanding the Times, we saw that that unfulfilled uh, psalm there talks about that all of the nations around Israel will rise together as one league and they will come against Israel and their statement will be to to annihilate them to wipe them off the face of the earth to destroy them completely and that will be their goal so I think that uh, you know we're seeing all these things align the waters being troubled the exact same things and the leader of, of ISIS, ISIS uh, has also said that you know that they will take out and of course uh, you know, Isaiah uh, talks about that God, God says, I will use the Syrian to bring, and he's talking about to bring these uh, nations today that are Islamic nations, bring them into order and, and bring uh, judgment upon them. But that's not, the, the Syrian goes beyond that and wants to take out Israel and Great Britain and the United States as well because they hate us. They hate us. Um, and they always will. You know, if America's not going to protect Israel's security, then Israel will protect themselves. So that will bring about, I believe, the Psalm 83 war of where these nations that are right right around Israel. Of course, again, as I said, the Hezbollah there to the north, the Hamas there in the southern region, and you have uh, you know ISIS into the northeastern region, and you know they're all uh, aligning around. They'll come against Israel, and you would think that she'd be outnumbered. And by no, no way in, in natural means should she come out successful. But God will, will uh, show favor on Israel and God will help Israel. And according to Psalm 83, God, uh, Israel will come out prosperous. She will become the, uh, a world power in that particular region, the, the Mideast superpower. And she will expand her borders. She's done that before when uh, the battle of uh, the Six-Day War in 67. And various times when they, they did have war, 
she always took uh, land and expanded the borders. What people don't realize today is during the Six-Day War, uh, Israel took back the Temple Mound and all that particular region, and they allow the Palestinians to, to yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah, and actually the land that God promised to, to Israel is from the Nile to, up to the Euphrates. And so it's a whole lot more than what, where they are right now. They have a small little state of like New Jersey or something, and uh, it's about the size of Israel. But she will expand her borders, and she will go in and has to go over into um, Jordan because the fact that she has to have that, that ground, that land, uh, before... The, the battle of Gog and Magog that's mentioned in Ezekiel 37, 38 happens because when they're going to bury these uh, 200 million soldiers, it talks about exactly where they're going to bury them. And it's going to be along that Dead Sea line over in the Jordan area, the Jordan region. And so that mountain range is there. The Bible li- li- uh, lines it out completely. So where I think Bible prophets have got it backwards and put the battle of Gog and Magog first, I believe that we're going to see that later because Israel has to be at peace and has to be prospering. So after Iran and these nations rise up, uh, what will happen is is that uh, the northern part of Iran will will maintain itself. There's a mountain range that sits between, um, what's the capital of Tehran? Tehran and the uh, Bashar nuclear plant, there's a mountain range that sits between there. And if that, when that nuclear plant goes up, it's going to blast and it'll drive it towards the, the western area and towards across the Persian Gulf. That's why that a lot of the other uh, Islamic states through there are a little nervous. That's why that you see these, the particular alliance with the, um, help me out here with, with uh, this, the Arab Emirates, uh, whatever they're called. And then they've made, yeah, United Arab Emirates. And then there's another one that they've aligned all those nations on that, that uh, the, the western shore of the Persian Gulf because they know that, that this Berkshire nuclear plant's about to go up. I mean, when it does, the technology that, that it has has been staggered over the years. And so, I mean, it's not, gonna, it's not a real stable environment. It's not near as stable as the one in Japan who, at, uh, yeah, that didn't, uh, well, or the, the plant that during the... the Tsunami, you know, it, it erupted and they had some problems there. So it's not near as stable as that. Yeah. So there, you know, this will happen. In in Israel, will expand its borders. Will become prosperous. They'll gain uh, ports of har- harbor, and they'll have now uh, be able to export better than what they have now. And that will be some of the reason why that Russia will want to come down and conquer Israel because they'll want that Persian Gulf. Uh, Access. They'll want the Mediterranean Sea access. They'll want these particular uh, areas for strategies. And also, it says in the King James, it says, comes down to plunder and take booty. That doesn't quite mean the same thing in in our language today, does it? So, (laughs) plunder and take all of our money is is basically what they're doing. Just wanted you to know, if you read that in the King James, how you can translate that into... uh, spoils of war, meaning all their money and all their goods. <laughs> um, it was kind of written when those pirates were talking. <laughs> That's why it's Iran and <laughs> Iraq. And, um, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's never been more urgent, I don't believe, for Christians than now to really heed some of the, 
the scriptures of the Bible, and the first one is the Psalm 122.6, where it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen. And we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to. God will bless you individually, and he will bless us as a church uh, for doing that, even though we live in a nation that might not do that. Will America suffer? Yes. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have to. It'll have to. Uh, but I believe that America will come back and will turn and come back to, uh, uh, to support Israel. I believe it will go into maybe the, the, uh, the tribulation time uh, as a supporter of Israel. Because I believe during the millennium time that uh, America will be recognized and, and be blessed. And I think they find that through uh, a prophecy that's mentioned there. But so we need to, to heed uh, Psalm 122, verse 6. So you say, okay, pastor, so sum this up. What am I supposed to do? What can, what can I do about all this? This is happening over in Israel and Iran and in Congress. Well, what, what can I do? Here's what you can do. You can pray. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. still accomplishes a lot. And so Psalm 122, 6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then we need to pray for the wisdom of our leaders. We're told that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first three verses says, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. So God wants us to pray for our leaders, those that are in authority over us, to pray for them to have wisdom. We need to pray for those members of Congress that, uh, ha that did go to this speech, they did hear this, that they are, they're sensing the presence of God and the word of God and is challenged to, to take a stand with Israel. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for boldness and for wisdom and for uh, integrity to come forward. And then the, the third thing that we need to do, the last thing we need to do is, is we've heard it in 2 Chronicles 7.14, is that uh, we need to pray for this spiritual awakening for America, for around the world, for Christians around the world, where it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That is a beckoning call today. That's a scripture that ought to really encompass us around about and gird us up for our purpose. That ought to be, you know, our meta-narrative should be <laughs> 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And the thing is, is that to humble ourselves as Americans, you know, we've kind of got away from that. We haven't had to experience much of humility. Uh, I don't know what it's going to take. So uh, it's better for us to humble ourselves than for God to humble a person. And um, says, humble yourselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so, you know, I'm asking, that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for wisdom of our leaders and uh, pray for this land. Pray that God would give us a spiritual awakening. What are we supposed to do as a local church? We are to uh, seek his face. We're to humble ourselves, seek his face, pray for the harvest, win the lost, develop the saved. That's how simple it is. Just win the lost, develop the saved. And that's where it starts. That's, this is our harvest field. We, we're to do our job here uh, and as God opens the door. When you go to work, you be alert. Be, you be equipped with, the not, with some of these things that you're learning. You know, when people start talking about the uh, prime minister of, of Israel, now you're going to know. You're going you're to know who they're talking about. The, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu's name comes up on the news. You're going to perk up and say, wait a minute, I, I know about God's using him, you know, because he's the leader of Israel. I need to pay attention to what's going on here because I'm praying for the peace of Israel. 
And uh, we have some missionaries there in Israel. David and Rita Flora are in Jerusalem, actually in the old city uh, there in, in Jerusalem. So pray for them, pray for protection. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on over there. But uh, we need to be ready for the harvest. We're going to get this. This is our tool. This facility is our tool. We're uh, going to do the best we can to get back in here. We need a bigger place for a larger harvest. And, um, you know, how many of you remember what I preached last week? How many paymasters did we have this week? <laughs> so paymasters, if you want to be a paymaster, God needs some paymasters throughout as he raises up his army of believers because uh, it's going to take, it takes it, you know, it, it takes that. And that's why, you know, even Congress, sometimes they balk because of the cost of doing some of these things. It does. Well, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. Since Jesus came on the scene, since the time of John the Baptist until now, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has been, it, has been, it says, suffer violence. Or, and that, that word suffer is the same word that Jesus used when he said, suffer the little children to come to me. He says, let them forcefully advance. So we, uh, the kingdom of God has, has taken a new stance since, uh, the, since Jesus showed up. It's been forcefully advancing, and the forceful lay hold of it. The violent lay hold of it. And so I've heard that taught where it's like that we need to be, you know, that violence is going to take hold of us because we're the, in the kingdom of God. But when you read it from the original text, it says uh, that the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and the forceful lay hold of it. The forceful lay hold of the kingdom of God. It's not going to just, as my dad used to say, uh, it ain't going to come to you. You've got to go out there and get it. You know, you're going to make it happen. And so we've got to go into the harvest. We've got, we're, we're responsible to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're responsible to, uh, to, to call those things that aren't as if they are. We're responsible for these things that God puts before us and to call in the harvest and pray for those that are lost. And so we need to be about doing that. We need to be forceful in these things, tear down strongholds. And when Satan attacks your finances, you need to get mad. You need to really get mad, and you need to get mad at the forces of darkness and command him to get his hands off of your finances because they belong to God if you've given them to God. And, and so be a little violent. <laughs> you know, stir you up a little bit. I mean, you know, we're not wimps. We're children of the living God. Amen. I mean, we, we're giant slayers. We're mountain movers, man. I mean, uh, this is who, we're called of God, and no weapon that's formed or fashioned against us shall prosper. It can't Amen. succeed. And so, you know, it's till it's our time to, to, to leave, you know, God's going to do what's necessary to help us to succeed in doing what he wants us to do. And you need to believe that and, and not settle for anything less. Don't compromise. Don't, don't negotiate at the table uh, uh, that the devil sets out there. You know, you, no, we're not negotiating anything. I'm an overcomer. I'm the victor. And get out of my face, devil. <laughs> I don't even want to talk to you. <laughs>